I'm going to pray in just a moment. One of the ways I would encourage you to pray is the Bible is full of prayers, and I love to find prayers in the Bible and pray them, and that's what I'm going to do. This actually comes from 1 Thessalonians. It's one of my favorite prayers. Let's pray. Father, your word says to rejoice always. And so we rejoice. And we rejoice as you taught us to, Jesus, that our names are recorded in heaven. Thank you. And we rejoice that all of our sins, past and present and future, have been washed away. And we rejoice that you have brought a purpose to our lives big enough that we can get excited each day as we get up to live out your purpose for our lives. And you say to pray without ceasing. And so we pray because we are needy people. That's why we're here. We need you. No one needs you more than we do. We have struggles financially and physically and relationally and with sin in our lives. We need you. Meet our needs. And oh, we pray because there are hundreds of thousands of people in our own county who don't yet know you. Holy Spirit, may... May you fall fresh on us that we might love them, that we might have a new boldness and desire and go to share you and and make disciples until every person in our county is one to you. And then your word says, in everything, give thanks. And so today we thank you that we have air conditioning and we have a building to meet in and we had roads to drive on to get here. And we got up this morning unlike most people throughout history, and we had running water. And we give you thanks. You have been so good to us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Do you give thanks a lot? We have so many things that we take for granted that most people throughout history would look at and just, wow, like just getting up in the morning and turning on water. Oh, another blessing we have is we actually own copies of the Bible And uh, our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Ephesians, um, chapter 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Uh, If you didn't know, I love sports. If there's competition, listen, I'm watching. I can turn on my TV, and if there's a surfing contest, I want to watch it because I love surfing. And then I flip the channel, and there's a tennis match, and I love tennis, and I love to watch tennis. And then there's a soccer game, and I want to see that, and... Uh, then there's a track meet, and I love track. If there's competition, I'm just, I, 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 I want to watch. And there's two huge sporting events going on today. Did you know that? Wanna help? What's one of them? One of them's what? PGA Championship. That's, that's one. And then, and then the, later on this evening, there's the NBA ch- uh, semifinal game, right? 
Um, so, so there's a golf match going on. It's the PGA Championship. Um, did you know, this is really funny. Look at this picture. I've heard of, I've heard of uh, warnings on ski slopes. But this match is being played at Bethpage Black, and they actually have a warning sign before you play. Warning, the black course is an extremely difficult course, which we recommend only for highly skilled golfers. Don't you love that? If you're having a bad day and you're not good, don't play this course. Because <laughs> it will ruin your day. Uh, now, what's interesting, so you have the PGA Open, and the PGA is golf, and golf is an individual sport isn't it? You play golf by yourself. It's, you don't need a team. Uh, I live on a golf course and people will come and they'll be playing golf by themselves. You can play golf by yourself. And then you have basketball this evening and basketball is a team sport. And you cannot play basketball without being on a team. Sure, you can dribble. Sure, you can shoot. But you can't play basketball if you're not on a team. And so my question for you, my question for you, when you think of the Christian life, when you think of following Jesus, do you think it's more like golf, you do it by yourself, and you don't need a team? Or do you think it's more like basketball, that you really need a team? What do you think? Listen, how about, how about making disciples? Is making disciples, is that something you do as an individual, it's an individual sport, is it? Or is it something that requires a team? Now, it's true we come to faith individually, but we do the Christian life together. Following Jesus is a, is a team sport, and that's why today's message is called Membership Matters. Membership matters because, listen, the Christian life, is a, it's a team sport. Making disciples, is a, it's a team sport. It's not an individual sport. And the point of today's message, what we're going to look at, is that we are needed, we are needy and needed in the local church. Um, why is it important to belong to a church? Because we're needy, that's why. And, and why is it important that we're involved in a local church? Because we're needed at the same time. If you're new, this year what we've really been learning is that Jesus invites us on a disciple-making adventure. He says, don't waste your life. Come, I've got an adventure for your life. And it's a, it's a, it's a disciple-making adventure. We've learned that Jesus' last command given to his church was to go and make disciples who make disciples until the world is one. Uh, we've learned, we've asked the question, well, what is a disciple? And we said a disciple is a follower of Jesus. A disciple is someone who's hooked their wagon to Jesus and said, Jesus, you lead and I follow. I want to follow you. Are you a follower? And then we've, looked, we've asked, well, what does it look like when someone's following Jesus? And we said, a disciple loves one another. Do you? And a disciple loves one another. See? We have to belong because a disciple, one of the marks of a disciple is they love one another. And we've learned, too, that a disciple loves the lost. So if we're going to be a disciple, first of all, it's important that we connect to the head of the body, which is Jesus. But then it's important we connect to a body, because following Jesus is a team sport. And isn't that what we read about today? Didn't we read, but speaking the truth in love, we? You see that? It's not just a me and Jesus, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body. 
So a church has Jesus as the head and then people who are connected to one another that are the body. And so becoming a disciple begins when we connect to the head. And the way we connect to the head is by believing in Jesus. Have you? Oh. Gospel means good news, and the good news is that Jesus seeks and Jesus saves. Uh, but the good news has some bad news, and to really appreciate the good news, we need to first appreciate the bad news. So, so let me show you a verse that so clearly reveals the gospel. It's 1 Peter 3.18, and it says, For Christ also died for our sins. The just for the unjust, um, once for all, he died for, Christ died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to flesh, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Let's look at the bad news. See the word there, our sins? You ever look around the world and, and notice that it's broken? You ever notice that? You know why? Because we have a problem called sin. People today, they often say, well, they're just human. No, no, that's not the problem. The problem is we have a problem called sin. And sin is a crime against God. This week, I'm meeting with a man, and he said, um, he said, Smiley, these people said something about me, and it really hurt. What they said hurt me. Have you ever been hurt by something someone said or did or thought? Have you? Do you know that that's what sin is, that we grieve God? I have asked thousands of people, I have, I have asked thousands of people, why should God let you into heaven? And person after person tells me, I have never hurt anyone. But the one thing that never crossed their mind is sin is not primarily hurting other people. Sin is a crime against God. And we grieve God when we do things say things and think things that we shouldn't. And most of us never think about that. Crime is a, I mean, sin is a crime against God. And we have all committed crime after crime against God. And God is just. And he can't just wink at sin and let us in the back door and say it doesn't matter. God says what we deserve for what we have done is dead. The wages of sin is death. That is eternal death, separation from God and from all good things that the Bible calls hell. Listen, we have all committed crimes against God. We're in, we're in really big trouble because we deserve death and we can't save ourselves. Now the good news. For Christ also died for sins. See Christ, do you know who Jesus is? Jesus is God who became a man because we were sinners and couldn't save ourselves, help had to come from above. So God the Son left heaven, came to earth, and he came to the earth in a unique way. He was born of a virgin. Jesus came into the world in a unique way, fully God, fully human, but didn't inherit a sinful nature like we did, so he was without sin, and he was able to do for us what we couldn't do to live a perfect life for us. Doesn't mean he was, wasn't tempted. Oh, he was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Now, now look at this one more time. For Christ also died for our sins once for all. Unlike all the sacrifices in the Old Testament that were offered over and over again, Jesus died once for all. 
Uh, as man, he could die in our place. As God, his death would be of infinite value. The just for the unjust, the one who had never sinned, took our sins on himself and died in our place. So Jesus took all of our sins, died in our place, and then rose. Notice what it says next, so that. See those two words, so that? Do you know that's in the Bible 979 times? Christ died, why? So that. So that what? So that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He died and rose so that we could have eternal life, that we could be forgiven, that we could do life in eternity with Jesus and for Jesus. And our part is to believe in Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, listen, we are given eternal life. We are connected to the head of the body. How do we believe in Jesus? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believing in Jesus, it begins in our hearts and it works its way out our mouth. It's, we love to say it's as simple as ABC where we admit and believe and commit where we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And if you haven't done that, won't you? And then we believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And then we commit to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Jesus, I want you to forgive me and give me eternal life, and he will. And then we say, I surrender. Today, I turn over the control of my life to you. And from now on, as you lead, I will follow you. If you've not done that, won't you? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the, the dead, you will be saved. And once we connect to the head, we're now connected to the head of the body, Jesus, then it's really important that we're connected to the body. And here's why. Because we need a, a, a church and the church needs us. We need a team... <laughs> And the team needs us. Now, when Jesus was here on earth, let me ask you, when Jesus was here on earth, did he play golf? Did he do life by himself? Or did he play basketball? Did he gather a team of people around him and do life in community with others? What did he do? He what? He played basketball, didn't he? Remember last year we walked through Mark together and we got to Mark 3, verse 14. And... Here's what we read, and he appointed 12 so that they would be with him. Jesus didn't play golf by himself, but what he did was he, he gathered a team. He gathered 12 guys to be around him. He got his community of people together, didn't he? And he appointed 12 so that they would be with him. You see, they needed Jesus, and Jesus needed them, right, to carry on the ministry after him. And he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he would send them out to preach. So Jesus gathers people together. He, he teaches them how to make disciples. And then when Jesus is about to ascend into heaven after he died on the cross and after he rose and he gives his last command, which we call the Great Commission, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. 
I believe Jesus gives the last command to his church because making disciples is something we do together. And so he says, together, we're to win people of faith in Christ, and then we're to baptize them. That's something we do in a church. People are baptized in a church because we're baptized into Christ and also into his body. Remember when Jesus was here? Remember when Jesus was here, he said it was to our advantage that he go away? Remember that he said that, that it's to your advantage I go away? Have you ever wondered why? Have you? I mean, don't you say, well, no, I think it would be better if Jesus was here. Well, follow with me a little bit. When Jesus was here, where was his body? Where was his body? Where? It was where in Jerusalem? It was in Israel? How many people got to see his body when Jesus was here? Very few, right? Because only the people near Jerusalem ever got to see the body of Christ. And then Jesus ascended into heaven and he poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and his church was birthed. And now the body of Christ is around the world. There are local expressions of the body of Christ all around the world so the people all over the world today get to see and experience the body of Christ, which only a few people got to do at one time. That's why uh, it's so important after we connect to Jesus that we connect to a body because we are needy and needed in the local church. And yet people tell me all the time, you know, Smiley, do I have to belong to a church? Uh, whenever people say that to me, I always say, if you're a Christian, you don't have to do anything. I mean, eternal life is a free gift. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. Uh, we'll never make God love us any more than he already does. But listen, if you want to be a disciple, if you want to be a disciple maker, it's important to belong to a church. You need to. And then I share with people, we have an amazing ability to turn gifts of God into burdens. We have an amazing ability to turn gifts of God into burdens. Do you know when the Ten Commandments were given that all the nations on earth work seven days a week? Did you know that? People never got a day off. They work seven days a week. Sometimes now people tell me, well, Sunday's my only day off. Yes. Before the, before the Ten Commandments were given, people worked seven days a week. And God said, I'm going to give my people a day off. My people will make more money in six days than other people make in seven, so I'll prosper you in six, and you can have a day off. And what did Israel do to the Sabbath? They took a gift and turned it what? Into a burden, didn't they? Oh, all these things we have to do on the Sabbath, they took a gift and turned it into a burden. And don't we say that? Do I have to belong to a church? How many people say, man, we get to belong to the body of Christ. How amazing is that? And the reason that matters so much is because we are needy and needed in the local church. We are both needy and needed. Do you know what we need from a local church? But speaking the truth in love. We need truth. In our truth-starved culture, we need truth. And the church is called the pillar of the truth in the New Testament. We need truth. And we also need love, don't we? We need a place to be loved and a place to belong. Listen, we need love and we need truth. 
and our culture needs it too. So as we come and experience love and truth, then we can go and give it away. Jesus left his church on earth because we need love and truth. It's for our good. It's a place for us to go and be taught truth and experience love. Jesus left his church on earth for the good of the world because he works through his church to make disciples of all the nations. (laughs) So Jesus ascends into heaven. Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit. The church is birthed. And then Jesus gives gifts to his church. Every one of us is gifted for ministry, and we use those gifts in a local expression of the body of Christ to make disciples. A few of the gifts that he gives us, verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and prophets. Jesus gave the church apostles and prophets, and they wrote down the New Testament. Ephesians says the word of God is the foundation for the church. We're built on truth given through the apostles and prophets. And he gave some as evangelists. He gave people gifted in evangelism. We're all called to share our faith. Some people are very gifted in evangelism. And he gave some as pastors and teachers. I'm one of them. We have several. Now, what exactly do you do, Smiley? Notice what it says. Some as pastors and teachers. Notice, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. My calling is to be a teacher. My calling is to be an equipper. I'm to teach, I'm to equip, you're to be equipped, and you're to make disciples. That's something all of us do. Well, Smiley, why then do they call you the minister? Aren't you supposed to do the ministry? Why is it that in so many churches, people think the minister is supposed to do all the ministry? That's why he's called the minister. Now, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is because of the fatal comma. You ever heard of the fatal comma? When the Bible was written in Greek, there was no punctuation. So when it was translated, punctuation was put in. And the fatal comma is found in the King James Version. Now, at the top is the New American Standard. At the bottom is the King James Version. You have to look really careful, but there's a gold, there's a gold comma. That's the fatal comma. The King James goes like this, and he gave some as apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, comma. That's a fatal comma because it says the pastor's calling is to perfect the saints, to equip the members, comma, for the work of the ministry. He's also supposed to visit everybody in the hospital, do all the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Now look up above it. I'll look up above it how this flips it in the New American Standard. It says the pastors and teachers, their calling is for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. That you're the ministers and the pastors the equipper. My calling is to equip you so that you can make disciples for the building up of the body of Christ. Um, look at the next verse until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. How many of us are to grow up? How many? How many? All of us. All of us are to grow up and become disciples and disciple makers. All of us. And what that means is I'm to equip you and to teach you and you're to take what you learn and give it to someone else. Because it's only when you begin to teach others what you've learned, it's only when you pass Jesus away that you really understand him yourself. 
So you come to faith in Christ, and I want to teach you about your identity. Who am I? I'm a Christian. I'm a disciple. I'm a child of God. I want to teach you so that when you lead someone to faith in Christ, you can help them understand their identity. Who am I? I'm a Christian. I'm a disciple. I'm a child of God. And I want to help you understand where do I belong? Because all of us want to belong, right? We belong in His body. So that when you lead someone to faith in Christ, you can help them. Listen, where do I belong? We belong in His church. And I want you to know, why am I here? We're here for others. We're here to make disciples. So when you lead someone to faith in Christ, you can help them understand purpose. Why am I here? For others to make disciples. We don't come just to hear. We come to hear and learn so we can go and do. And that changes everything when we realize that we're going to turn around and give someone else what we're being instructed in here. And where am I going? I want you to know the best is yet to come for those who know Christ so that when you lead someone to faith in Christ, when they ask you, where am I going, you can teach them. Do you know how many people have told me, you know, smiling, I never really understood my faith until I began to share it with others. I believe it's true. You will never really grasp your identity or where you belong or what your purpose is or where you're going until you begin to teach others about that. And that's what will make Jesus show up in your life and he will be more real to you. And notice what he says. This, what, this is what keeps us from being swept away. As a result, that we're not only being disciples, we're making disciples. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves. Uh, about by the trickery of men, by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So many people come to church, they don't pay attention because they think, I'm never going to share it with anyone, and then they get swept away by false teaching. But listen, when we come and we listen and then we go and we give it away, we know Jesus and we won't be swept away. So, uh, what do we need in a local church? In a local church, we need truth. We need a place to be equipped. We need God's Word. We also need love. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects and to Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. We need a place to belong. Because the moment we believe in Jesus, we become strangers and aliens on earth, and we look for a place, where do I belong? I mean, do you ever walk around our culture and you hear people talking and you think, I don't fit in here? I hope you do, because you know what? We're not supposed to fit in here. Christians have never supposed to fit in any culture at any time because we're strangers and aliens and on earth. We're here on a mission in a strange country to make disciples. But, but if we're strangers here, where do we belong? In his body. Here, Jesus is the head, not in our culture. Here, the Bible is read, not in our culture. This is where we belong. So, we need a church because we need a place for truth and, and God's word, and we need a place to, for love and a place to belong. And as we experience that, then we can go out and begin to give that love away to others because the people around us also need truth and love. Speaking the truth in love. 
Those are the two marks of the church, aren't they? The two marks of the church are truth and love. Remember Jesus in John chapter 8? In John chapter 8, Jesus was teaching his disciples about one of the marks of his church and a disciple. Notice, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. How, How do you know a disciple? He says, if you continue my word, you're truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Disciples love God's word. Disciples love the truth. One of the marks of the church is truth. It's a place where people gather for truth. There's another mark, uh, and that's love. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So we have truth on one side, and we have love on the other. Is there... Is there, a, is there a tension between those two? Is there? You guys there? There's a tension, isn't it? So how do you bring the two together? One of my favorite books, if you want to read a good book sometime, read the book Fearfully and Wonderfully Made by Dr. Paul Brand. He was a, a Christian doctor who worked with leprosy a lot. And here's what he discovered. The more he studied the human body, the more he came to appreciate the church being the body of Christ. And as he studied the body, he noticed that in our body, we have things called bones. And bones are hard, and they don't bend. And he says in the church, we have bones too, and they're called the truth. So we have bones in the church, it's truth. But Dr. Brand said our bodies have skin on the outside, and skin is warm and soft and pliable. So he says the outside of the body of Christ is love. So our bones are like truth in the church, and our skin is like love. And then Dr. Brand goes on to talk about um, a lobster. So a lobster has bones. Where does a lobster wear its bones? On the outside. You like to be touched by a lobster? Eat it, yes. Touch, no, because a lobster what? It's hard and cold. We don't want to be touched by something that's hard and cold, do we? And there are lobster churches, aren't there? And aren't there lobster Christians? The first thing that you you come in contact with is truth, and it's it's hard and cold. No, that's not it. And he says, but there's also jellyfish. And where does a jellyfish wear its bones? Come on, where? It doesn't have any, right? Um. Aren't there jellyfish churches today, aren't there? It's just all love. It's just love, love, love. There, are, there is no truth. And, and listen, as a church, we don't want to be a lobster where the truth is on the outside. We don't want to be a, a jellyfish where there is no truth. We want to be the body of Christ, don't we? Where, where we have bones on the inside and, and we have skin on the outside. And you say, well, what does that look like? Wouldn't it look like Jesus Wasn't there a time where the body of Christ was on earth? Wasn't there? In John 1, verse 14, what do we read? We read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glorious of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. If we want to see what we're to be like as a church, we look at Jesus, right? Because there was a time the body of Christ was here on earth. And when people looked, they saw the body of Christ was full of grace and truth. That's where God dwelt on earth. And now God dwells in his church. 
So what did it look like to be full of grace and truth? As we get to know Jesus, as we follow him, we see what? How grace and truth work together. Truth on the inside, love on the outside, right? We read a little bit later in John, Jesus meets an immoral Samaritan woman at a well, doesn't he? And he speaks to her, doesn't he? He asks for a drink of water, so he he approaches her with love. But he brought truth too, didn't he? Remember what happened? He said, would you call your husband for me? And remember what she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. You've been married five times and the one you're living with now is not your husband. He said, you are a serial adulterer. That's what he said. And love and truth came together. And what happened? She she was radically converted. She went into town and says, you've got to come meet Jesus. He knows everything about me and still loves me. A little bit later, right, we see what? That that the religious leaders bring to Jesus, what, a woman caught in adultery, right? She's caught in adultery. And and so how how does love and truth work together? Uh, Jesus thinks about it for a little bit, and then he says that he who is without sin, huh? See, he, 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 he brought truth. He said what this lady did was sin. It was sin, but he said, he who is without sin among you, let him, what, cast the first stone. So Jesus dealt with her with both grace and truth. And he said, listen, no one condemns you, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Ah. We look at Jesus to know how grace and truth flow together. We read in Luke, and, and Luke goes and he, or Jesus goes and he finds a tax collector. Listen, a thief, and he's in a tree and he says, let's have lunch. We would say that's what? That's love, isn't it? He ate with a sinner. And yet, when all the religious people showed up and said, how can you eat with sinners? Remember what Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Isn't that offensive? You know what he said about Zacchaeus? He only has three problems. He was blind, deaf, and dead. He was lost. Is that offensive? It is. Listen, Jesus had lunch with him, but Jesus said he was lost. Jesus said he needed he was a Savior. And listen, Zacchaeus was radically converted through experiencing love and truth together. Listen, how does love and truth go together? Like this. The cross. The cross is full of love and truth, isn't it? Listen, the truth from the cross is we are far worse than we think we are, isn't it? What Jesus experienced is what we deserve. The cross proclaims love, right? Jesus said, I will die in your place. What would it look like in our lives? One of my favorite stories of um, someone who wasn't a lobster and someone who wasn't a jellyfish was a, a Christian gets on a train many years ago and a drunk guy sits down next to him pulls out a flask of whiskey and says, would you like a drink? And he said, no, thank you. And they ride on a few more miles. And again, the drunk asked him, "Uh, would you like a sip of my whiskey? He said, no, thank you. And a little bit later, the drunk offers him one more time, hey, would you like a drink? And he said, no, thank you. A few minutes later, the drunk says, "Um, I've just been sitting here thinking, you must think I'm a terrible person. I keep offering you whiskey. And the Christian laughed a little bit and said, no, I've just been sitting here thinking how gracious you were to offer me what you have. I I know a lot of lobster Christians. You know what would have happened the first time he offered them a drink? I don't drink, I'm a Christian. (laughs) And wouldn't that have been the end of the conversation? Listen, the guy didn't get drunk with him, but you know what? He loved him, didn't he? 
And then he brought the truth, and as they rode on the train, uh, having loved him, he had a chance to offer him something to drink, living water. Instead of whiskey, and he had a chance to lead that man to faith in Christ. Wouldn't it be great if we were people who had truth on the inside, strong, strong convictions, but it was covered, it was covered, and skin right, covered in love? Listen, uh, we are needy and needed in the local church, and that's what I want you to remember. And that brings us to our action step, our action step, which is do your job. Do your job. And the reason I love that is whenever I watch a coach, you know what he's always telling his team what? Do your job. Because we're what? Usually keeping track of what everybody else should be doing. But imagine if each of us heard Jesus say, do your job. You have a job in the church. Do your job. You've been gifted. Do your job. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, all of us, in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Do your job for some of us. Some of us that's to take the first step and connect to the head. Uh, it's to admit and believe and commit, won't you? And then, and then some of us, we're connected to the head, but not to a local body. Listen, to do your job means find a church, find a church and commit to it. Listen, join it, become a part of it. And you say, well, how do you find a good church? Look for a church filled with needy, needed people. Look for a church filled with needy people who say, I need God's word. I need truth. I need love. I need a place to belong because I'm a stranger and alien in my community. Look for a church filled with needed people, people who say, I don't want to waste my life. I want my life to count. I, I want to be a disciple maker. Look for a church filled with needy, needed people. And join it. And join it. Many, many here belong to a church. And so to do your job means to be a to be a good church member, don't just be on the rolls. Do your job. Be a good church member. And you say, well, what does a good church member look like? A good church member lives day by day saying, I am needy and needed in the local church, both needy and needed. On Sundays, what, is a, what does a good church member look like on Sundays? On a Sundays, a good church member gathers in worship as a needy, needed person. They come to worship because they say, I need truth to make it through this week. I need God's word to make it through this week. I need to be loved and to love to make it through this week. We come as needy people, but we come as needed people. We come and want to welcome others. We look for people to welcome and people to invite to our small group. We look for opportunities to serve. We, we, we become gospel partners on the parking team or, or in kids' ministry or in hospitality because we want to welcome other needy, needed people. When you come each Sunday, do you come as a needy, needed person? And then, Monday through Saturday, listen, good church members, we're all dis we, we all are deployed on mission. We're deployed as needy, needed people. Wouldn't it be great if we were deployed like that? That we were deployed to make disciples where we live, work, and play. Well, what do you mean needy, needed? <laughs> I love one person said, we should... We should 
be one beggar sharing with another beggar where to find bread. Isn't that something we can do? Instead of going to people and saying, we've got it together and you ought to be like us, we need to say, listen, we're beggars just like you, but we have found a place for bread. Oh, what, what does it look like for a, a good church member if they're dispersed? You know what it would look like? We wouldn't be lobsters. We wouldn't be jellyfish. But we would be the body of Christ, that we would be a people with truth on the inside and love on the outside. Oh, you ever wonder what I dream about? But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects and in him who is the head, even Christ. Wouldn't it be great that all of us wanted to grow up? Wouldn't it? That we helped each other grow up to be more and more like Jesus, to follow him, that we were speaking the truth in love to one another? From whom the whole body, everyone's involved, from whom the whole body, everybody's doing their job. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what? Every joint supplies. Each of us was excited to do our job according to the proper working of each individual part. Now what's the result of this? Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Wouldn't it be great if week by week we grew in our love for Jesus, wouldn't it? That week by week we grew in our love for one another. That week by week we helped each other grow in our love for the lost. <laughs> Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful that you came to seek and save sinners. And when you ascended into heaven, you left your church here to be the body of Christ so that people all over the world like us today could be and experience the body of Christ. Lord, I pray that each of us would do our job this week. And if you're here and you've never connected to the head of the body, Jesus, won't you take that first step, won't you? Won't you admit to him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and, and I'm sorry. And won't you believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit? Jesus, I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and, and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. And from this day forward, as you give me strength, I will follow you all the days of my life. Listen, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark it on your Connect card? We'd love to celebrate with you. Lord, I pray for those here today who are connected to the head but not connected to a body, that you would move them to do their job and find a church because they're needy and needed in a local church and they have gifts that are needed. And Lord, I pray for all who, who belong to a church. Lord, I pray that we would do our job that we would do our job when we gather and that we would do our job as we scatter and that your church would be built up, that we would grow in our love for you and one another and the lost. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.